And too many of us, brothers and sisters, are resisting the grace that is awaiting us by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of our confirmation, by virtue of the life that Christ has promised us. You know, the craziest thing happened to me when I was at the grocery store this week. I feel like this doesn't happen anymore. This happened when we were in school. Someone cut in front of me in line and just like right at the register, went right past me, didn't even acknowledge me. So I just want to say to the person out there who cut in front of me in line and took my spot, I'm coming after you now. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 179. We start every episode with a dad joke. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you're a first-time listener, please make sure you rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. And the best way you can follow up with our content is go to our website, manaffft.com. And you can click on the subscribe button to get our weekly email psalm reflection sent to you. You can click on the give button to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month. And you can find all of our other content there and as well as how to connect with us on social media. Uh, if you do, please make sure you tag us if you're sharing this episode, which is such a great compliment. It's the best way you can get the word out if you like this episode and help other people find this podcast is to do so on Instagram. Tag us at Mana Food for Thought, uh, and we really appreciate it. Otherwise, let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. Uh, my joy is <clears throat> to be back with you each week. Like I really appreciate the fact that uh, people listen to this. I guess I don't know. Like I take for granted for the fact that like. I still constantly hear people coming up to me like, oh, I, I listen to your podcast and it just blows me away every time that people take time out of their day, out of their life to just listen from the things that, to the things that come out of my mouth. So I just, I don't know, that's just a profound joy and I really appreciate that and all of you who listen. Um, but something joyful also that happened today, every Monday I go and uh, supervise lunch at my daughter's school. And so today is Monday that I'm recording this, so I'm going to go do that later. And my daughter was so excited this morning that I was going to be there. Um, and I just love that. That brings me a lot of joy. Maybe one day she won't be so excited. I don't ever remember feeling as though I would have been excited if my parents were at school. Um, so I take it as a win and a joy that she likes me being there and I enjoy being there. So uh, my junk, even though it is um, a really great and busy and, and a week that's going to produce, I think, a lot of fruit, I am giving 11 talks this week, two of which have already happened, nine more to come. And it's a lot. And um, I don't know, I'm ready for maybe like two thirds of them at this point. So yeah, so just pray for me as you're listening to this, um, because most of them are probably not done yet. And I could use the prayer. So um, I'm sure they'll all go well. I'm very excited about all of them, but just a lot, I'm a lot to do in one week, you know. And then my uh, Jesus moment was we had a revival night at our parish. Uh, basically an XLT, if you know what that is, some time in adoration preceded by uh, an inspirational message from a speaker with praise and worship uh, music kind of all throughout the night. And so it was really powerful. And usually at events like this, I it's hard, very hard for me to concentrate and focus in prayer because I've done so many events like this. I kind of go into analysis mode or I think about like, um, oh yeah, that was a really good point. I would have, I would, it also reminds me of this. And if next time I'm giving a talk, I want to think about this or this. And it just kind of sends me down this ministry spiral in my brain. It's very hard to be in a ministry setting, being, having been in ministry for so long and allow myself to just be ministered to and not kind of youth minister myself in my brain or kind of, you know, 
get in that mindset that I'm more in like implementation mode or minister mode instead of just I'm receiving. So I felt the Jesus moment was I felt I was really able to just pray and receive. And that was really wonderful. So that doesn't happen all the time. So I'm very grateful for that. Let's get into our episode for this week. We always look at the second reading for the upcoming Sunday. This Sunday is the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and our reading is once again from the book of Romans, chapter 14, just verses 7 through 9. So we're reaching toward the end of the book of Romans here. Paul is continuing to give this kind of theological treatise of the essential components of Christianity to the church in Rome, which is culturally divided, even though they're all Christian. Many are Jewish Christians and the rest are Gentile Christians. They're trying to live in community together, trying to figure out what do we retain from our previous life and traditions? What do we need to get rid of? How do we work and operate together? And what is this new Christianity, this new faith in Jesus Christ? How, how does it, how do we live? How do we teach it? How do we do all of this? So Paul uh, this week uh, is basically writing about our need to completely focus on our devotion to the Lord. That none of this is for ourselves. This is all for the Lord. Everything that we do is for him. And really this, this kind of spirit of detachment, transformation, new life in Christ. So listen to what he writes to the church in Rome. He says, Brothers and sisters, none of us lives for oneself, and no one dies for oneself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this is why Christ died and came to life, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. Uh, It's a matter of life and death, but this kind of comes to mind whenever I see these passages about both life and death. Um... And really, this is really making the distinction between like, do we live to die or do we die to live? And what I mean by that is, you know, there's the worldly idea and probably the idea that was very popular with secularism and paganism at the time was that this world is all about earthly pleasures. You know, we live just to have the experiences here and then we'll die and we'll be in the ground. And there's nothing we can do about it then. There's no other experience. It's all about right now, this life. And so people still have that. They have this, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. They have this idea that life is all about the bucket list and the highlight reel and, and how you can be better and make more money and be more successful and, and optimize this or that. You know, that's kind of people's view of life, that it's all about this life. And so it's about living just to die. You know, we live, we live as long as we can to have all the experiences and pleasures that we can, but eventually just to die. Or the Christian view, which is that we die in order to live. That we set aside all of these attachments to what we think life should be about or what we think will make us happy or successful. And in doing so, when we receive faith in Jesus Christ through baptism, and we respond to that by living out our life in pursuit of him, that is when real life happens. And beyond that, there is more. There is more to life than this life. Death is not the end. Death is just a door. And I think in our world, like, I think the reason why anxiety is on the rise, I just heard a statistic that anxiety has surpassed depression. Um, You know, statistically, more people now struggle with anxiety than they do depression. Whereas depression was for a long time the, the uh, the higher statistical likelihood. And I think anxiety in general and and 
all fear in general is reduced to a fear of death. That every fear is ultimately a fear of death. Every anxiety is basically an anxiety of being out of control, not being in control of your life, losing your life. And that death might be the actual physical death, or it might represent something more like a social death, like uh, being embarrassed or losing you know, um, clout or influence or a reputation in the eyes of others, you know, and I think that very much to a lot of people feels like basically you're dying in a world that's very much digitized online, your persona, your brand, you know, represents everything about who you are. Any kind of chink in the armor can be seen as a form of death. And I think all of that is because, you know, we're afraid of death or those forms of death because we're not prepared for it spiritually or practically. Like we're afraid to let go of control and trust that there might be a God of the universe who's all loving and in complete control. But like, how do I know that? Like, and what is his plan? Is it, is it as good as mine? Is it as, does it result in as much success and influence as I think mine will? You know, we have that kind of insecurity about the whole thing. And I just, I don't know, we have to remember, like, if you get if you get worried about death or insecure about death, about what the ramifications of death are going to be for you, for your family, um, are you going to have a chance to do everything that you wanted to do, etc. Like, recognize, like, God has handled every death in human history up until this point, and he has made the world keep going. He's been able to bless people, their families, continue to provide for them after their loved one dies. He's been able to keep the world moving and turning and he will do that without us. And our death can have meaning. I know in my life, the death of my best friend right before we graduated from high school, um, I would much rather him to have lived, obviously. But his death also had a profound impact on my life and on the lives of everyone around him to the point where we had to really consider what we were living for, what our life was about. And there was a hidden blessing in that, though there would have been you know, abundant blessings had he been living otherwise, you know, God would have blessed us in other ways. But I think he uses death and anything that results from sin being a part of this world that wasn't his plan. He doesn't uh, remove it, but he uses it because he respects our free will. And so he allows us to sin. He allows the effects of sin to lead to death and destruction because that's just our choice and that's the world that we live in. But in allowing it, he actively uses it to bring about some good. And he has handled all of this before. And I know, especially during the pandemic, um, I had a lot of health-related anxiety after my best friend died. I was really conscious of the fact that I was mortal, that one day I would die. Like, what was I going to accomplish? What was my life going to be about? I got very germophobic. And when the pandemic happened, my anxiety started to, to skyrocket. I, I had a similar resurgence of that type of um, worry. And I went back to therapy and I, I, you know, was still in spiritual direction and trying to really, you know, make sure that I was um, processing this in a way where I realized, like, my, I, my life is not about me. God will take care of it. I need to maybe do what I can to mitigate some of my worry. So I, you know, I got a lot of information together that I know my family would need if something happened to me. I made sure, like, I had things in place, you know, my... Um, advanced directive, healthcare directive with my doctor, like all these things. So like people knew what my final wishes were. They didn't have to, I didn't, it didn't have to cause any unnecessary or undue strain beyond whatever grief would be experienced if something were to happen to me, etc. cetera. Um, 
And that allowed me to let go of a piece of it. But then there, there had to be just me just recognizing like death is a part of life, like, and the world will keep going. The first time I was ever in therapy was after my best friend died. It was in trauma therapy. And um, I was really like grappling with like, what's going to happen when I die? And like, you know, just really, really being consumed in my own life and, and all the meaning that I saw my life as having. And my psychiatrist, I think he, he, he could tell and he knew that this wasn't, you know, going to harm me saying this or that I wasn't struggling with any kind of depression or suicidal ideation. He, he wouldn't, I imagine, have said this to just anyone. But he said it to me. He said, you know, uh, Matt, when you die, the world will keep going. We'll all be fine. And it really struck me kind of to realize like, yeah, I am not the center of the universe. I'm not even meant to be the center of my universe. The Lord is meant to be the center of my universe. And I think the real fear needs to be of losing eternal life. If we have fear, it should be a holy fear, a spirit-filled concern for losing that gift of eternal life because that's where real life is. That's where real experience happens. Our experience on this earth is just a glimmer of the glory that awaits us in heaven. Even our senses are numbed because of sin and because of our inability to experience this world in the way it was originally created because of the doling our senses have experienced because of sin. And so we need to recognize, like in the words of Philippians, Paul writes to the Philippians in, in chapter 1, verse 21, for to me, life is Christ and death is gain. That life is only life if it's in Christ. And when I die, I don't lose that. I gain an even closer relationship with Christ. St. Teresa of Avila, she said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Everything that we experience in this life, it compares in no way to what awaits us in heaven. Why should we be afraid? Why should we fear? Why not experience a glimmer of that new life now? Why not experience a taste of heaven now by dying to self, you know, actually living out that baptismal reality, living out the reality of heaven, where it says in Revelation 21, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain. The old order will have passed away. That is what awaits us. That is what awaits us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, as Peter is greeting the recipients of his letter, he greets them in these words. He says, Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Like I wish everyone who went through a baptism, every parent, godparent, child, once they came of age, or adult who gets baptized could understand that completely. Like you are being put through an experience where you are literally dying to the world and you are raising, being raised in a new life in a new family, the family of God, the body of Christ, with an inheritance that will never end, being newly born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's incredible if we really grasp it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes, For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. 
For what is seen is transitory, but what is unseen is eternal. The things that we experience in this life, they're passing. They, they have, when we get to heaven, we'll realize like how meaningless they were. I mean, ultimately, the only thing we'll have that will have real meaning for us when we're in heaven is whether or not we responded to the gift of salvation, because that's our entryway. That's, that's the, the whole reason we'll be able to experience heaven in the first place. But everything else will kind of, will, will just be, I don't know, like mediocre in comparison. And it's, it's wild to me that there's so much fear about losing this life and so much fear of death that life becomes just about the experience, the pleasure, the glory, the achievement we can get for ourselves. But the next life, in the next life, this life pales in comparison to every experience we could have on earth combined in the next life. In the next life is when we experience that glory. That's the achievement. And the relieving part is that you don't even need to work day in and day out to try and earn or achieve it yourself like we do for the things that we think will make us happy in this life. Jesus has already achieved it for you on the cross. You don't need to go through the bucket list experiences of this life in order to feel successful or like you have a life worth living. No. Like God has put you exactly where you're supposed to be for a particular purpose. And it's not to go off and have all these amazing experiences for yourself so that your life looks glamorous and great. The experiences are wonderful, and if they come before you and it feels like a good opportunity, sure, take it if you want to enrich your life. But it doesn't mean that those things are necessary for you to live a good and fulfilling and happy life because you're going to experience something so far beyond those in heaven that the bucket list lifestyle is going to look ridiculous in comparison. You were made for heaven. That is the glory that awaits you. And so how do we get there? You repent of your sin, believe in Jesus Christ, receive that gift of eternal life and salvation through your baptism, and live a holy life that is worthy of and working toward heaven. Remain in a state of grace, and you will get there. Baptism, that central key moment of baptism that salvation is bound to, as the catechism says. Baptism is in itself a death. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to plunge or drown or die. And just like every sacrament is a gift and an experience of grace, even though we've received it and it changed us, we still have to let ourselves receive and live it out, just like a gift. So for instance, like, let's say you're moving, okay, you're moving to a new state. You are now physically in a different place. There's nothing that can change that. However, you can choose whether or not you're going to be open to the new experience of that place, or you can be like that, you know, quintessential angsty teen in every made-for-TV uh, movie that moves to a new place in the middle of high school, doesn't want to make friends. So they, they're just like, we're just going to move again. It's not worth it. And then they finally find those people that they, they you know, gel with and they open up. You know, like that, that same thing is true in our baptism. You've moved, you've changed by virtue of your baptism. There's nothing changing that. However, is that baptism taking root in your life? Are you really living out the fullness of your baptism? Well, that's up to you. The same thing is true with confirmation. I think a lot of times we read about the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and then we see people get confirmed and nothing really happened. And we wonder, like, is there a disparity here? Is there a difference? And no, the Holy Spirit is doing the work. The real Holy Spirit is coming upon this person. 
and their nature has changed, but are they allowing themselves to be open and receptive to it and live it out? That's another question. The same thing is true of aging. You are now physically a different age. You're now older, but there are plenty of people who don't want to accept their age or will even hide it or lie about it or try and reverse it through things like surgery or products, supplements, crazy treatments. I remember this story. I saw this story in a magazine once or, or online that was like, Jennifer Aniston's secret is that she washes her hair in beer. And I was just like, this is so crazy that people are going to read this and go home and just soak their head in beer. Like, how desperate are we to appear younger than we are that we are just dunking our head in beer? Like, why? Because, regardless of the fact that things have changed, just like in baptism, we can refuse to accept that change or live in it to our fullest capacity. And that's crazy. All that is to say that just because you were baptized does not mean that you've ever fully leaned into the new life Christ has offered you in that baptism. It doesn't mean that you're automatically living for eternal life. So brothers and sisters, like when you hear this reading proclaimed this week, I just want to challenge you, like live for eternal life. Live like death is real because it is and be spiritually prepared for it and practically prepared for it. Do the things that you can do to prepare your family and to get your, your affairs together and make sure your doctors and your family know what your wishes are. If God forbid anything happened to you, especially if you're married, especially if you have kids, like make sure you have that stuff lined up, but especially like memento mori, remember your death, let it be the motto of your life and live for heaven because heaven is not promised. It's not guaranteed. You need to choose it. You need to live for it. You need to be in pursuit of it. And it is easy, too easy in this world to turn away from heaven for the bucket list lifestyle or the life of pleasure, achievement, power, experience, because it's offered to us 24-7. We're inundated it with it, with ads and apps and opportunities and commercials and all of these things that we think will make us happy. I mean, how many things out there are lifestyle blogs or accounts all promoting a certain lifestyle saying that this will give you what you're looking for? And sure, it might make you happy. It might be like, oh yeah, this is really, really great in the moment. But in the end, is it going to satisfy you? Is it going to continue to satisfy you for the rest of your life? Is it going to fulfill you? And is it going to carry you into the next life where we live eternally either with God or without him. What really are we preparing or living for? Because brothers and sisters, every trip that you want to go on, every experience that you want to have, every new food you want to try, every type of relationship or experience that you want to have that's good, that's true, that's beautiful, it will exist in heaven and then some. And so you will not miss it. What we can miss is the opportunity to live in the salvation Jesus Christ has won for us and to pursue heaven. And then we can miss it all. We can miss everything entirely because we're too wrapped up in our own pride or our own sinfulness to realize there's more to this life than this life. So we do not live to die, but brothers and sisters, let us die in order to live. Let us remember our death. Let us realize that we put away the old self and died to that self and are living in a new self by virtue of our baptism. And let us really live in it. Not deny that it's happening like we might do if we're aging or moving or some other life change happens. No, the change exists just like those changes 
but we have the opportunity to respond, to live them out joyfully or to resist them. And too many of us, brothers and sisters, are resisting the grace that is awaiting us by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of our confirmation, by virtue of the life that Christ has promised us. So what's holding you back? What obstacles are in the way? How are you being resistant to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to where God is leading you? And how are you attached to this life? If you were to die right now today, what would your worries be? How can you mitigate some of those worries practically? And how can you recognize that some of those worries are just based on your own image of yourself, what your life should be like, the experiences you want to have, and even more than that awaits you in heaven? So what should you really be living for in the first place? That's all I have for you, my brothers and sisters. God bless you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.